we know that posture affects our hormone production. Now, these movement patterns that we have, uh, the way that we develop them, um, you know, I mean, if we look at the brain stem, it's like the stem of a, um, of, of, of a cauliflower or a broccoli, for example, and, and the broccoli being the brain. If we start to look at how these movement p- patterns start to emerge and we start looking at these different areas of the brain, some of these areas are linked to serotonin and dopamine production, dopamine production being in the, in the midbrain. And that's specifically involved to uh, involved with, with crawling and contralateral movements. Everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pakulski. We frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love, and posture is a really, really big thing. So whether you're standing or sitting right now, I want you to sit up straight, stand up straight, uh, pull your shoulders back, acknowledge how that feels. Now I want you to roll your shoulders forward, drive your head forward a little bit, and acknowledge how all the muscles of your back, of, of your cervical spine, have to now extend your body. All those muscles are active. Your brain is active in firing, contracting those muscles. And if that position in any way is our default position, your brain will be hyperactive to keep your body stable. This is the same with uh, having proper uh, or poor foot mechanics, uh, hip mechanics. Uh, If your center of mass is in any way outside of your body and shifting, all those muscles that are on the opposite side have to contract and be active to hold you up. Now think about what implications that could be having in your autonomic nervous system in your brain as far as driving sympathetic stress. Our guest today, Annette Verpilot, is a posturology expert talking about some of the gateways into optimizing posture and finding your greatest ability to focus. So the reason posture ties into focus is if you think about the reality that if your sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive, you can't get into focus. You can't get into a parasympathetic state as effectively. So how you stand, how you sit, what your default postures are, the things you can't see, like the rotations existing in your spine, the rotations existing at your hips, um, and all of these um, postural inefficiencies are actually contributing to a lot of long-term negative health implications and psychological implications and performance implications. Um, This is a really, really interesting podcast that I want everyone to pay close attention to because all of us, myself included, are deficient in posture, especially as you put on more muscle. So think about what muscle does to your posture. It's going to pull your shoulders forward. It's going to pull your hips back into an anterior pelvic tilt. All these things are literally taking you out of alignment and forcing your brain to contract muscles harder and work harder. So our guest today is going to teach you how to begin to put your body back into alignment and all the things you need to be paying attention to to optimize your physique, optimize performance, and most importantly for me now, uh, optimizing the tone of your sympathetic nervous system. And we want to decrease the amount of work your body has to do while sitting, standing at rest. 
ultimately we want to be able to access our brain's ability to focus on what we're focusing on rather than assuming there's a line in the room that we're trying to run away from in high amount of sympathetic arousal. So uh, without further rambling, I hope you guys love my conversation with Annette Verpilot. If you do listen right to the end, we have some amazing valuable information that she gives us. And as always, share it with at least one person you know will love it. And I appreciate you guys leaving reviews both on iTunes and Instagram and Twitter and all the places where you know the Muscle Intelligence podcast is found. MuscleIntelligence.com launches soon. You guys can find all of our podcasts uh, indexed there. We're going to be doing weekly giveaways coming at you directly on the website. So if anyone wants to get the show notes, you can check that out at MuscleIntelligence.com. Coming at you very, very soon. We're excited for some really new, awesome things coming out of the Muscle Intelligence community. I hope you guys have an amazing day. Enjoy the podcast with Annette Verpilot. Like how changeable is posture? Is it something you can actually change that even over a longer time? Yeah. Longer that fast, yes, and we have we we do have an explanation for it, and the answer lies in neurology, and that's where the challenge is going to be to kind of explain it in simple terms. Which, uh, uh, which I think my audience is pretty bright, so you can just yeah. you can roll right into it, yeah. Right, and, and if uh, there's anything you feel that needs further clarification, but 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 really that I mean those changes are, are not only immediate, but as long as the corrections are performed for a certain period of time, they become permanent and keep on increasing, and that was wow. the last. Uh, the last comments I got from Charles when he came into my office, and, and I have I have a video of this, and he's just freaking out. He's with the dynamometer test testing, and he's like, "Holy shit! <laughs> now I'm at 15 percent of strength." And this was like when he had already originally gained eight percent two years prior to. Right. So, you know, I, I think I think that we can quanti- definitely quantify the results and um, and then apply them in the weight room as far as as better performance and, and global health. I'd love to hear how posture starts. Like, so can we define ideal posture? And does it like where, where do you begin? So if someone walks into your facility and you say, "Hey, we're going to fix you," is it is it a feet up or is it a neck down? Like, I, like the, kind of that intervention jumping off point. It would be my, you know, starting off point. Like how my brain will start to understand it. How would you begin your assessment process? Well, I mean, if you Google the word posture, um, whether you research it from universities or Wikipedia, it's basically uh, the position of a person's body when they're either standing or sitting or the way that they're able to activate their muscular chains, uh, um, anterior and posterior, medial and lateral. So it's basically it's a segment of, of different body parts that gives you a specific center of gravity within within a surface. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition really truly varies from different spectrums that you kind of research it. And to be honest, it's kind of a gray area. Nobody really has the true answer as to what posture is. But sure. one thing that we do know for sure is that it's something that is under, I don't want to say underrated, but more and more people now, thank God, are starting to pay attention to it. But it's not something, it's not, it's not a popular topic, mm-hmm. I, I think. So I'm, I'd love to still hear um, how you start, but just to give you a story, like people come into my gym all the time and say, hey, I want to build muscle. And the first thing that I make absolutely everyone do is implement a breathing practice. And uh, I don't know what your belief is around that, but the breathing practice is only a direct correlate with improving somebody's posture. So if I see these 
you know, thoracically flexed postures, my first thought goes to, well, you probably have some um, limited breathing patterns. So you're not getting full thoracic extension because you're not getting these, this proper expansion of the rib cage and, and uh, intercostal muscles. And as soon as we start implementing that, people's shoulder mobility gets better, thoracic mobility gets better, their overall rotation gets better. And all of a sudden they're seeing these massive gains in, in upper body strength and uh, performance just from implementing a breathing practice, which has this downstream effect of improving their posture. Yeah. So the thing is, is that when when we do, I'm a big fan of of, of nasal breathing. Don't get me wrong. But but where where this becomes interesting is that we really go back to basics. The first mm-hmm. question is we have to ask ourselves is how did we how did we learn to stand upright to begin with? And that's going to go back to the first truthfully, the first year of life, um, where basically our nervous system is stimulated through vestibular, visual, and through proprioceptive being the skin, the muscles, and the joints. And then we start Mm -hmm. to build layers upon layers on top of this basic function, which is the postural system, to start to develop these motor patterns, these controlled motor patterns that, that allow us to stand upright. Breathing is kind of the same thing. I mean, when you think about it, the first physiological function from the moment that we're born is obviously to breathe, uh, but we don't have any teeth. The first thing that we're going to do is feed, so then we're going to develop this tongue posture from swallowing. Eventually, the teeth will come out. A year later, we start to chew, and then we start to speak. So it's in that synchronicity that the entire, what we call really the stomach, system, which involves all four uh, nasal breathing, swallowing, chewing, and speaking, if we wanted to really target from the, the beginning this entire system, then we have to kind of figure out the swallowing patterns that someone has picked up from the beginning of life, which might wow. still exist today as an adult. And it's kind of the same thing with a postural imbalance because, I mean, you'll see it in bodybuilding. A lot of people are struggling with, with symmetry, right? Where bodybuilding is all about symmetry. But if you have a brain imbalance that, again, stems back to the beginning of life because we don't actually have full access to our brain when we're born, right? This is the reason why we're unable to walk as, as, as toddlers. Um, so if we have a brain Im- imbalance, the reflection of this is a muscle imbalance. And I'll take it even further, it's a postural imbalance. And if we have all three, we actually have an autonomic system dysfunction because the right brain, which is more linked to our sympathetic system in the first three years of life, then connects onto our left brain from the third to the sixth year of life, and then creates a synergy right to left, back to forth, and we actually grow out our premotor cortex for movement. So when we're seeing someone who's partially misaligned, we have to think to ourselves and say, I understand that you have pain now. You do look like you have rounded shoulders, but where is this really stemming from and how far back does it go? I love that. Now tell me more. Like I want to learn about this. So, um, so my thought was like, okay, your, your method of changing posture is going to be something physical, but you're saying that it may be cognitive or maybe in the brain development stages or in, in the development of their they're breathing, they're swallowing and speaking. I'm saying that that you can't separate it. Everything is connected to no. those first years of life. And what we're seeing when we're seeing, I'll call it in brackets, poor posture, what we're really seeing is someone who has been compensating for years and years and years. Uh, so the techniques that we've developed in the 21st century uh, do work. I mean, obviously, if we work on the nervous system, whether it be through palpating or stretching, we will get a reaction of that joint. I mean, I've done that for many years. The problem with that is that we can get better 
and faster results by targeting the nervous system, which controls that specific joint to begin with. And then add on the stretching and the strengthening to get that optimal result. So, I mean, you know, when we look at different athletes who have made it, um, when we look back at, at bodybuilders back in the in the 50s, whether um, it's Vince uh, Gironda or Chuck Sipes or all, even Charles Poliquin who introduced structural balance, I mean, all of these concepts would be even, are, are amazing concepts. But if we if we were to add an aligned posture, then we can have that system in check. And then the question would be, how much better could you have potential? Could you have been if you've already made it to the Olympic level? How much better could could you be if you were posturally aligned? Obviously, this is a question that you know, uh, since we can't go back in time, it's it's not an answer that we can potentially have right away. But but we know that with an aligned posture, the athletes always perform better, are able to digest their food because if you have a brain imbalance, you can't actually digest your proteins properly. All right, give me some more, Annette. This is this is fascinating me. I don't even know what direction to push you down, but like, um, oh my yeah. lord, hours so, and hours we're gonna need. I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm moving in. <laughs> um, so, what would you like to know? So, so the brain imbalance basically it all again stems from the, from the beginning. If you have a brain imbalance, then this is going to affect your autonomic system, and what mm-hmm. ends up happening is that in the first stages of life, you're actually starting to integrate these movement patterns that you're later going to apply. As you start, there's actually 72 movement patterns that neuroscientists have identified. And these movement patterns, you'll see them in babies. It kind of looks weird when we're an adult. We're seeing them do these weird gestures. But for example, crawling or walking on all fours, these are repetitive movement movement patterns that we'll do in a sport that allows us to either connect ipsilaterally or contralaterally to our muscular chain. Now, before we even gain control, because to do that, our brain needs to be able to control our flexors and our extensors chains. That doesn't come instantly. It comes with stimulation in the first years of life. And that as that stimulation is being stimulated, we're actually myelinating, myelinating the pathways in our brainstem that are going then going to connect with our entire cortex. And as this is happening, we're forming important nuclei in our brain, one of them being the nucleus ambiguous, which actually controls our vagus nerve, which is the new vagal system in the sense mm-hmm. that we're then able to calm ourselves down. If this formation of this vagus system does not happen properly in the first three years of life, what we end up seeing are brain imbalances, which then lead, if we start going down the chain, uh, to to a, the worst part would be to a leaky gut. It it put, puts us in a state of constant cortisol, which at this point prevents us from re- absorbing our sugar properly. It affects the hydrocolic acid in our stomach lining, which prevents us of absorbing our uh, our enzymes and our protein. Uh, right, it breaks the leaky gut brain barrier and all of that. I mean, if we go down the chain, then you know, eventually down the line, this this can eventually lead to brain inflammation. What would be something that would happen in the first three years that would cause this to not develop properly? Um, you know, yeah, everything that that we're doing that, that mothers and parents uh, are doing now in the, in the Western world, which is basically putting shoes on our kids way too early. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw a video of a guy on Facebook, uh, a bodybuilder who was, uh, you know, trying to make his, uh, three week old son squat. Uh, the, the, the nervous system is simply not ready to be able to do that really complex movement. So we might feel, you know, yeah, you're, you know, you're really good. This is really awesome, but we're actually doing them a lot of harm. Another one would be breastfeeding. Mm 
Uh, I know that in the United States, women cannot uh, uh, stay home more than three months after they've given birth. Um, this is a problem in the sense that breastfeeding will help form the entire arch, which will promote nasal breathing and so on and so forth, going back to the swallowing and then the speaking. So what we're seeing is that there is an increase of dyslexia in children, learning disabilities. The ch these children eventually become adults and these adults eventually become bodybuilders. But the point is, is that it's, it's going back, going, <laughs> <laughs> going back to basics. Um, well, it, it really does start from there. So what can we do once we're an adult, right? What is it that we can do? Well, we have to start working on the same sensory entries and stimulate them in the same way that they would have been stimulated when we were a toddler, but in a different form now, incorporating specific exercises to reconnect these different brain parts, which ultimately connect to one single thing, which is lower motor neuron for muscular control. Do you have a book in it? I want to read it now. I am working on it, but what we're doing is we're literally, <laughs> I'm working on it with everything that, but, but I've started written, I've, I've written already four chapters of the book. Um, but yeah, this is definitely something that I'm working on, but what, what we want to do is teach this to healthcare professionals, because yeah. again, I just came back from Chicago and the results that we saw with uh, range of motion and with just stability and like, and partial imbalances are are immediate. Now, remember the nervous system functions at 119 meters per second. So if I stimulate that sensory area in your brain that tells your brain where you are in space, the results will be immediate, immediate and long lasting as long as the corrections last. So, you know, I mean, we'll stimulate the skin of the foot. We'll work with the eye exercises, which will have an effect on the vestibular. Once that's happening, we're automatically activating the posterior chain and we're giving the subject a better um, a perception of where their body is in space, which leads ultimately to better performance and better strength gains. Yeah. And not only do you want to give this to fitness professionals, but I think to parents, right? Like what, what types of things should they be looking at like in this, in this natural developmental process that makes sure their kid is on track and not going to have these issues. So you mentioned breastfeeding. Is there additional things? I mean, how can you, how can you breastfeed if you have to go back to work? Sure. Um, right. If you have to go back to work with, within three months, I think we have to develop coping me mechanisms in the best way that we can and work on the child's proprioception as much as possible, uh, is definitely something, uh, that I think would be a bonus. So definitely no shoes on. And if you are, if you have to drop off your kid at kindergarten, I would, I mean, with my kids, I, I literally went to visit the school to see if they would be doing some, some sensory motor exercises for the children, which are absolutely detrimental for stimulating that brain. The brain Will only grow through sensory stimulation. The more you stimulate those sensory areas, and, and you'll see it in a toddler at, by the age of a month to a month and a half, they start to lift their head. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the vestibular system that's starting to kick in with the cerebellum that's activating your posterior chain, right? And then that goes on from that moment on, everything just, you know, is synchronized in such a manner that you're able to, again, stand upright and walk in coordinated, controlled movement, which usually happens at eight years of age. This is when you gain full control of your head, of your shoulders, and of your pelvis, and you have a. This is when children are now walking like adults. Gosh, my brain is, is spinning. So, what are some of the common postural deficiencies you see, and common causes of that? The common postural deficiencies. You mean as as the symptoms, the symptoms that yeah. people. Uh, my God, uh, lower back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, okay. uh, migraines, all of the popular, sure. right? The popular pains that you probably 
encounter as well. Right. But as far as the physical manifestations of them, like, is it just you, particular curves of the spine you're looking at? You're looking at the rounded shoulders, you're looking at head posture, um, or is it just like, what is the physical manifestation of pain? And so how, how do you begin treating people like this? Uh, well, the, the physical manifestation actually varies with the individual, but what we do look at is we've created a system to be able to assess posture in the three planes of space, along with specific correlations that are based on force plate studies. So whether or not you're left-handed or right-handed gives us a, an indication as the way that you, uh, your feet rest on the ground, and that's going to affect your knees biomechanics and the biomechanics of the hip that's going to affect your pelvis, the movement of your pelvis. Now, we know from published, published studies that the brain uses the pelvis as a reference in regards to your center of gravity. Sure. So if you have a pronated, for example, left foot and a supinated right foot, well, that's going to create a torsion of your pelvis. And then you're squatting with, you know, with 500 pounds with a pelvis that's in torsion. So what's the end result of that? Well, discal herniation, lower back pain, slipped disc, anything that falls under the category or the umbrella of lower back pain. Um, I mean, these are, when, when we look at the expenses, even in the United, just, just in the United States alone, not even including Canada, we're talking about $560 billion a year of expenses just to manage those symptoms. And all of these symptoms are, are caused by a postural misalignment. So the system we've developed is simply to assess posture in the three planes of space with specific correlations. So that would be the sagittal plane, looking at a subject from the side. Do they have an anterior scapular plane, which at this point would cause a lot of pain? Is it posterior? Is it neutral? What's happening in the frontal plane? Is there a lower shoulder? Is there a lower hip? What about the transverse plane? Do we have rotation of a pelvis, a protracted shoulder? If that's the case, your cervical rotation will be instantly uh, restricted. And if you have a lower shoulder, even though you're right-handed, you'll be weaker on that side because the compression on the brachial plexus will cut the oxygenation of your upper limb on the right. And this is what we were testing with Charles with the dynamometer test. If we instantly realign the shoulders, by working on the feet, never mind the eyes, then the athlete instantly gets stronger. So we've developed an entire system that allows practitioners or coaches or trainers or healthcare practitioners to be able to uh, instantly identify the weaknesses and, and address them on the spot. Are you able to walk me through what that would look like? So I live now with a, with a postural, um, with, with a torsion of my hips. Right. So I've had it since high school. It's always been there. Um, it comes and goes. So I've had some really great therapists work on it and get rid of it for periods of time. But if I don't keep up with it, it comes back and it doesn't manifest as pain or anything like that. But it's something that I'm aware of based on, you know, my proprioceptive awareness when I'm training. And, and it, like I said, I'm, I'm usually kind of aware of the what what it takes to make it go back. But let's say I walk into your facility today. Where, I mean, you're doing an assessment, you're looking at my feet, you're looking at my posture in all three planes, you find this, this um, torsion of my pelvis, where do we start? Well, uh, I'm going to start with your feet because your feet obviously is the first thing that hits the ground and that's going to give me an indication as far as the biomechanics of your, of your lower legs. But I'm also going to look at the way that your eyes are tracking. And uh, this is when we'll see nine times out of 10 that when we ask someone to, for example, you'll see me do this in all of my videos, to look at the tip of a pen, 
most frequently, one eye will actually look at the target and the other one will look at something completely different. Uh, the problem with that is that it's going to create, it's going to give your brain a false brain, brain map of where your body is in space and will give you an impression that an object is there when it, in actuality it's either on the left or the right. So you will position yourself according to what you see. And that's mm. going to go all the way down to your foot. Your foot is going to adjust itself. And then your fascial system, if you live like this for years and years, then your fascial system will adapt to this. So what can we do? If you do have a torsion of your pelvis, again, I'd have to see you to confirm at 100%. And this is very simple to see at. I mean, all you have to do is ask for someone to stand straight, look straight ahead, make sure their feet are aligned. And when you, you stand behind them and you just literally look down at their glute, and if there's a posterior glute, most likely that side would have a supinated foot on the same side. So what can you do? Well, I'd say if you're squatting like that, you're actually wearing out your intervertebral disc as you're, you know, trying to stay fit. Now, should you stop training? Absolutely not. You should fix your pelvis though. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and now is that starting with your, um, it's starting with, with the feet, with the feet. eyes, with the jaw, because right. I mean, if you're going to have a crossbite or if there's going to be something going on with the lower mandible, which is the, the lower bone, which is called the mandible, it's going to affect your head posture. That's going to affect your shoulders. That's going to affect your center of gravity. So everything has to be addressed, everything all together simultaneously for you to get the, the 100% that you want to get as far as correcting posture. Now, the beauty of that is if you do address this and through very simple exercises that cost no more than a minute and a half of your time, 30 seconds in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, what you're actually starting to do is to change faulty motor patterns. You're literally recalibrating new movement patterns in your brain and changing your brain map. And if you do this for a certain period of time, a minimum would be six weeks, a maximum would be a year, the optimal would be a year, then whatever gains you've gained will stick and stay. So are most of these postural um, challenges or these postural uh, limitations that people are experiencing a result of poor childhood development or physical manifestations of their current environment and, and lifestyle or a combination of the two? Uh, you know what? I mean, I think current lifestyle could potentially uh, play an impact. Like if your job consists of doing an, something that's asymmetrical 24-7, like a hairdressing profession or being a dentist. But we're starting to see more and more that most of these cases are stemming back to the early stages of life. So it's going to be that much more challenging, but, but extremely easy when you do understand the knowledge of neuroscience in the context of that movement to be able to regress it. And through very simple exercises like stimulating the skin of the foot, um, we work with postural insoles in some cases where you actually do need the insoles to ch start changing the motor patterns of the foot. We work through uh, sports vision, which includes a specific series of eye exercises that allows the professionals to instantly correct their diverging eye. And for us, what the, the end result of that what, that, what that means for you is, is, is better posture 24-7 as of tomorrow morning. Fascinating. So this is a situational example. I see a lot of people with thoracic flexion in my in my day-to-day -day life, right? So people come in and they assume it's from texting or sitting or, or you know, sitting at a computer all the time. We look at the likelihood that it's maybe something that's come from their developmental stages. Again, 
what would you prescribe to them as, hey, try this? Like, so this, you know, we're talking about regressing back to their developmental stages. What would the intervention look like from your end for someone who has that thoracic flexed spine? So the number one thing will be corrective exercises for the foot, because if someone has pain, the foot is automatically adapted. That's either going to be through proprioceptive stimulation, which uh, we actually um, uh, show them how to do this. It's something very simple. Anyone can do it. You can either grab a fork and start stroking the skin of your foot and then working on, on getting that symmetry. Um, to be a little bit more advanced, we propose the use of partial insoles. And what these insoles do, studies have shown that when you work on a specific frequency under the skin of your foot, you're then able to activate your anterior and posterior muscular chains and have a better weight distribution on your feet. So step one is the foot. Step two will be visual uh, sports vision. So recalibrating eye movement, uh, central vision, peripheral vision to make sure that you're able to track where your body is in space. And last but not least, the position of the jaw. Is there a crossbite? Do they have a tongue thrust? Is there missing teeth? What's going on there? Do, are they clenching 24-7? Um, so already by addressing these three things, um, and like I said before, we're, we're able to see really, really quick gains with, with athletes and not only decreased in symptoms, a better performance, uh, but they're also able to recuperate much faster from the training that they've had. Because I mean, when you think about it, if you have a partial imbalance and if your shoulders, and if, if you have a forward displacement of your center of gravity, it's affecting your hormone production. It's affecting your cortisol. It's affecting your dopamine. It's affecting your serotonin. It's affecting absolutely everything. So you're constantly at a deficiency, although you're training and you've made it that far, your nervous system thinks that there's a lion in the room 24-7. So do we just know that it's affecting the sympathetic nervous system based on data, or is that something that we know mechanistically, like being in this forward flex position is in some way limiting your central nervous system? Or, or like, what is? Do, do you have any idea of what the actual uh, mechanism is as, as to what's causing the high sympathetic tone? Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, there's a very popular TED Talk. I don't know if you've heard about it or not by Amy Cuddy that basically she's a uh, she did a published study at Harvard where she speaks of um, uh, what, what they did is they took some subjects and physically had some had 10 of them walk with, you know, they strapped their shoulders with a forward posture and then physically strapped another 10 with, you know, extended shoulders. And then they recorded the uh, level of testosterone and cortisol. And what they saw is testosterone increased by 20% and cortisol decreased by 25%. And this was just over the course of three minutes. So, and this has been published. So then testosterone uh, increased, you said by 20% in both groups. Uh, no, the the in the group where they had the straighter Back. posture, I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, yes, it increased by 20% and cortisol decreased by 25%. And I'm guessing those numbers were similar if you were walking with a forward rounded shoulder type like of posture. Mm -hmm. So um, so just from that study alone, we know that, and, and she, she's not the only one who's done the study, uh, who's done a study like that. We know that posture affects our hormone production. Now, these movement patterns that we have, uh, the way that we develop them, 
Um, you know, I mean, if we look at the brain stem, it's like the stem of a, um, of, of, of a cauliflower or a broccoli, for example, and, and the broccoli being the brain. If we start to look at how these movement p- patterns start to emerge and we start looking at these different areas of the brain, some of these areas are linked to serotonin and dopamine production, dopamine production being in the, in the midbrain. And that's specifically involved to, uh, involved with, with crawling and contralateral movements. So someone who has a hard time doing this, for example, right, and crisscrossing or has a lower shoulder or a, lo- a lower hip is constantly at a dopamine deficiency. Very interesting. So I've had some people come to the gym and do these contralateral movement patterns like, um, you know, cross body patterning. Would that be something that would actually be useful for increasing dopamine as a pre-workout uh, stimulus? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Well, can you show me? Yeah, what so you- just like, you know, if you do like a marching pattern where you're kind of, kind of taking your left hand across to your right knee, your left hand across to your left foot, your left hand, you know what I mean? That, that kind of stuff behind your back and touching your foot behind your behind your back. These types of things where you're doing cross-body patterning. If we're able to do that at a successively faster rate, would that actually be correlated with increasing dopamine? It would, as well as taking, as well as looking at something and and having your eyes look up, because any vertical movement is specifically linked to that midbrain. As a matter of fact, you'll notice when bodybuilders are lifting, they always look up. Mm-hmm right? So they're tapping into that dopamine system already to begin with. So anything that you're doing that re-stimulates that contralateral movement, that kind of like crawling, but in a gym or anything that's contralateral, even hand movement with, with your own face will have an effect on that dopamine production. But more specifically, if you realign their posture as well, you're going to be tapping into that midbrain. Don't forget those cranial nerves that are stemming from your eyes and from your jaw are affecting the entire brainstem. You can find them all along the brainstem. So neglecting the eyes or even the trigeminal nerve not a, is not a mistake, but is something is, is very incomplete, I think, in a training program because it, c- it could give that much more information to the trainers that are trying to you know, get their clients fit. And when you think about it, um, th- what is the role of dopamine? I mean, um, when you have to s- start seeing results, dopamine is something that is going to uh, basically stimulate you with the results. So if you're having a hard time getting that person to be motivated, uh, to stick to their plan, to their program, and to have a better, um, uh, uh, better motivation, they need to tap into that dopamine system. And that's going to be that much harder for them to do if they're already partially misaligned. Wow. Um, basic level intervention. I'm just trying to think of like, you know, some of my coaches – Basic level intervention, do you have some strategies that you could recommend to the listener who can't make it out to Montreal to see you where they could start like doing some cross-body patterning or something to start accessing the dopamine system? Uh, well, you know what? Just working on the eyes already, just doing saccadic movements, for example. Uh, I'll try to show you over here. So if you if you create enough of a gap between your thumbs yep. and you have your eyes look top to bottom really fast, kind of like a saccade, that's already tapping into the midbrain. Anything anything that's contralateral, whether it be simul- simultaneously touching your nose and the opposite ear with your hand, or even doing contralateral exercises in the gym will help tap into that uh, dopamine. I would even add 
correcting your diverging eye, which could be done very simply. I did a TED talk about this where I actually demonstrate on stage the eye exercises in high definition, uh, high definition uh, video where you can see me perform them on stage. Just doing these eye exercises before you train um, will create big changes in the gym, not only with their perception of where they are, they'll have a better understanding of how they need to execute the movement. They will be more motivated. You're going to decrease their chances of getting injured, and you're going to help them uh, fight gravity more optimally, which which is what every human does, right? It's it's energy expenditure. Someone who has an anterior pelvic tilt is that something you address directly, or is that usually the the cause or the result of some other cause? So an anterior pelvic tilt is the result for us 72% of the time in what we call disharmonic feet. So if you have a pronated left foot, for example, the tibia on that side will internally rotate, the femur will internally rotate, so the greater trochanter will tap into the posterior side of the acetabulum, rotating the pelvis forward. The opposite will happen on the other side when you have a, a supinated foot. So this causes, if you add clenching or improper jaw posture on top of that or mouth breathing, this tends to push your upper body forward, creating an anterior pelvic tilt. So the the solution always kind of goes back to the same thing. It's going back to basics. How is that nervous system functioning? Is that person able to recuperate? Are they able to increase their training program three or four days later, or are they completely wiped out 24 hours a day, uh, you know, and and hit a plateau at some point? Uh, I think that all of these things are, um, you know, things that that are important to to address with or, or with with the trainees. And certainly, if we leave them with an anterior scapula plane. It's just an injury waiting to happen because there's a list of symptoms associated to an anterior scapular plane. I mean, if I read that list to you, you these, are, these are all the problems that we see all the time from knee pain to lower back pain to circulation problems, um, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. So for someone who's got the forward posture of the jaw, is there some therapy you recommend, you know, short of going back to breastfeeding in adulthood? that you would recommend for um, getting that back into alignment? Well, the number one thing is that they're going to need to stop clenching their teeth. And that's going to come with, with awareness because if the teeth are constantly in contact, it will push the head forward. Um, the teeth should not touch more than 12 minutes per day. This is when we're eating, no contact. And there needs to be proper tongue posture. So what I recommend in my practice is I will always ask the person if they feel that they are clenching their teeth. And they will all say no. <laughs> so as a, what I'll do is I'll give them uh, some red dots, you know, the ones, the same kind of dots that you'll buy at Staples to identify a document, a round dot, a red one. And I'll have them position them in different parts of the house and the idea behind that is when they're doing their stuff and they see the dot, um, they need to ask themselves in this precise moment if their teeth are in contact. Most of the time it will be. And what they need to do at that point in time is to position consciously their tongue on their palate. So this would be restarting to train because physiological tongue posture should be up on your palate with your lips closed, breathing through your mouth without any teeth contact. So just by doing these exercises, already you can start changing your tongue posture to allow yourself to relax 
your neck muscles. Now, speaking of correlations, I mean, there are very clear links in neurology that links, again, the eye muscles with that same vagal system that we were talking about before with the brain imbalances, which controls your entire sympathetic system. Mm -hmm. So, um, so working on both extremities together, uh, I think is just giving us a bigger bang for a buck. Brilliant. Um, so much value in that. I'm just trying to think my way through um, some additional mechanisms. So do you have um, YouTube videos walking people through all this stuff? Because I know we're going to get a million questions of people going, hey, Ben, I have this postural issue. What do you recommend? Uh, yeah, no. So, so the tips to correct a postural imbalance really optimally would be to visit a posturologist near you. Okay. That's number one. If that's not possible for you, then I would suggest definitely two things every, t- every single morning when you wake up and certainly before you train, those would be my top two things. Stroke the skin of your foot with a fork or with a tip of a pen, obviously put, put okay. the tip down so that you don't draw on yourself. Do it for at least 45 to a minute on each foot. It will be uncomfortable. Some people are extremely sensitive. You need to get past that sensitivity. They need to do it hard? No, 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 not not jamming into the foot, but enough so that you feel that you're actually, you know, creating a stimulation. Okay. You, You will see that very quickly that uncomfortable feeling will dissipate. So that's step one. Step two would be eye exercises. Definitely, if not watch in the morning, the TED, because, watch your TEDx talk, right? Your TED talk, right? Right. But if not in the morning, definitely in the second part of the day, like the afternoon or at night, because symptoms associated to the eye will be uh, specific pain pain that appears only in the second half of the day. So if you feel tired around twelve o'clock, one o'clock, and you feel you need a coffee or you need a boost, or why would that be? Know, Is it just o- overdrive of the sympathetic nervous system and? and- Epinephrine cortisol, or is it a different mechanism? Well, yes, which which leads to that. But but what's happening is I think about it. So so eye convergence is is the ability to be able to focus on a target really close. So this is what we call saccades. So um, I'll send you some pictures if you want, so that you know I don't know if you'd want to post yeah, them or use them, so sure. that it could be really clear. I'll link to them if, in the show notes. Right. If if one eye is looking at the pen, right, and then if I'm trying to do this, and then I have an eye, another my other eye is looking at the door. These are two different images that are going into my visual cortex, and that are supposed to give me depth perception. So in essence, my brain thinks I'm turning to the right when my body is really wanting to walk straight. So what you end up doing on a daily basis is you end up readjusting your muscular system to walk in a straight line because you're driving on the road. And then at that point, this becomes exhausting. So you go into energy leaks and you're wasting energy literally standing upright because your body, an example of this would be if someone were to do a test, arms out and just try to march on place with their eyes closed, chances are they would turn either on the left or the right or literally fall down. (laughs) Right. But if these tests are positive, positive meaning you are falling or turning, then I think that every trainer should start thinking twice about who they're training in their gym because their nervous system is already overtaxed. So with these, this simple test, you can tell if someone's nervous system is already at their limit. So going back to the exercises, the first thing would be stroking the skin of the foot, at least each foot for one minute a day when you wake up. In the afternoon and at around 3 or 4 p.m. to do some eye exercises and to do either or before training every single time because you're going to put your body under positive stress. 
I would even add to that to get better recruitment of the upper body to do the same thing on the palm of your hands. This will allow you to have better coordination of your hand-eye coordination and also have better control of your upper limbs. So these, again, are all specific reflex. The foot would be a Babinski reflex, the hand would be a Palmer reflex, and the eyes would be a psychotic reflex. All things that develop in the early stages of life. Would, be the, would this be thing you recommend doing for children? How old? You tell me. Uh, whatever annoys you about your child, whether it be that they're banging on the table 24-7 or they're making a lot of noise or they're jumping on the bed like a trampoline or they're learning how to, you know, whatever it is that they do, children need to move. Movement builds the brain. Yeah. And, and this specific movement is going to create localized functions of the brain. Now, if you look at the brain, there's the sensory strip. And right in front of that, there's the motor strip. Mm -hmm. In front of the motor strip is what we have, the prefrontal cortex. That literally grows out of the motor cortex. As a matter of fact, this is why we say that children, the age of reason for a child is eight years old, because at eight years old, the prefrontal cortex is fully mature. At that point, they are able to reason like adults. Before that, they cannot do it. This is the part of the brain that is lacking in animals. So if the prefrontal cortex is embedded with dopamine neurons, so you want to be able to tap into that prefrontal cortex. And here's another thing. The prefrontal cortex is to inhibit the limbic system. So to have better control of our parasympathetic system, to be able to calm ourselves down, we need to have optimal control of our prefrontal cortex and our motor cortex. And that comes with movement. So move, let your children move, stimulate the skin of their feet, massage their spinal cord, even in toddlers, when they're breastfeeding, when they're going to bed, massage the, uh, the, uh, infraspinatus muscles or the spinalis, all of that er um, erector spinae, stimulate them with visual auditory to have the child, you know, go to sound and just get their eyes moving in every direction of space. Very cool. So there's no negative implications then in doing the stimulation of the bottom of the feet or their hands or their eyes? I think the negative implication would be not doing it. Perfect. <laughs> Good to know. So someone at your level who does this stuff all the time, um, is it something you still have to do on a consistent basis or are you pretty locked in by this point? Uh, you mean for myself yeah. or? Yeah, for yourself. Every, every, I do eye exercises every day. It's, it's incorporated in my daily routine, like training, like eating right, like trying to reduce my stress, like taking supplements, eating protein. Uh, definitely. I mean, we know that the peripheral system um, decreases with age. So, you know, we're all decaying by the minute. This is not something that we're going to be able to uh, avoid. I think that faced by death, we're all equal. But before we get there, we're all going to get, you know, wrinkles, white hair. We're going to lose our vision. We'll need glasses to read and so on and so forth. So I think that this technique is the best way to prevent aging of the brain. Number one, we know that movement builds, prevents, prevents the brain to basically just disintegrate and start atrophying. So what are the top two, the top two things that you can do is, well, the number one thing that you can do is to keep on moving, but how can you move if you're in pain? Right. And we'll hear it a lot with the elderly. Some of them, I mean, if you listen to, to, to the words that people choose, uh, they'll say, you know, uh, with the elderly, they're afraid to walk. They feel the floor is unstable. Uh, they feel unstable. So what do they do? Well, they just stop moving. And from that point on, there's a, there's a certain quote that we have in French. It's the syndrome of, of sliding, which at that right. point on, death is not too far behind right. because they're no longer stimulating their brain.
Yeah, the certain spiral down toward death, right? Yeah, I know. I know it sounds very morbid, but I mean, th- I, I think that I think that incorporating uh, definitely making sure your posture is in check is is uh, step number one to living a healthy life, mm-hmm. and then doing these very simple exercises on a daily basis. So, when you're doing your eye exercises on a daily basis, you're standing in front of a mirror. Are you doing them just? No, I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting on the chair. I could be doing them in the car. It could be saccadic uh, eye movements, which consists of looking uh, without moving my head. Consists of looking to the left, to the right, as far as possible, up and down in the three planes of space. Or I'll just do a circle. Um, of course, again, in in our programs, what we teach are, are advanced eye corrections and the specific links with the specific brain parts with the specific parts of the body that we're trying to target in that in that scenario. But just doing those simple exercises will already give you uh, more than you've even bargained for. So, all right, I'm, I'm getting ready for a big squat workout. I want to go up and down with my eyes in the psychotic movement patterns. I want to do some cross body patterning. That sound about right for getting my body fired up. It absolutely does. Don't forget to stroke the skin of your foot and, and, and your hands for grabbing that bar, making sure your foot is, is properly stimulated on the floor. And I would even add some circular motion. Now, um, one thing that people uh, might not be aware is just make sure that you're not moving your head as you're doing the eye exercises because that would be considered cheating. So something that w- that I brought up as soon as we started the call was breathing. And you kind of said that, yeah, this is interesting, this nasal breathing thing, but it maybe isn't the highest level on your radar. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, without breathing, uh, we're dead. Sure. So, so right. So but, the body is always going to give priority to breathing. Now, what it is, is that we live in an era where uh, obviously dentistry and orthodontics is, is at its um, uh, optimal and everyone is getting their wisdom teeth pulled out and everyone's getting braces uh, for um, aesthetic reasons. But when you start to look at the true functioning of the jaw and the reason that we have these teeth to begin with is your wisdom teeth, which are located really at the most posterior part of your jaw, the re- the, the, their main purpose is to be able to give a specific position of your condyle in the fossa. Once you have that specific, that perfect physiological position, you're going to have perfect symmetry of, of your head on your shoulders, which again translate down in the body of L3 and projects down both of your feet. And at that point, what ends up happening is you have perfect sagittal plane stability, you're not wasting, your center of mass is perfectly aligned. So if we pull out the teeth, if you have improper uh, tongue posture, if you have, um, if your teeth are deformed for, you know, either flared out or you have an underbite or an overbite, well, if the mandible, every time the mandible moves, it changes your head posture. For example, if the mandible moves back and up, you are compressing the meniscus but your head will automatically move forward and vice versa. So someone who has, the dental term is called a class two, a lack of posterior vertical dimension because they're grinding their teeth, because the teeth were pulled out, because there's missing teeth, it's going to affect your center of gravity. I'll take it even a step further. If you have a crossbite, right? That would be, and this would only be visible if you actually looked at your teeth in the mirror, but you'll see that the lower jaw is outside. The, the, one of the teeth of the lower jaw is passing outside the upper teeth. Mm-hmm. Well, your tongue attaches on your hyoid bone, and then you have a muscle that goes from your hyoid bone to your scapula called the omohyoid. So you'd be in a state of constant rotation stemming from your jaw. All of that will not only affect your center of gravity, your posture, your forward head posture, but also your oxygen intake. Hmm. 
So, I mean, we can do a podcast on each of these subjects, <laughs> yeah. right? And <laughs> just the yeah. foot and just the eye, but it's to give you a general idea that we have to start looking at the body. I mean, I think from a global perspective, we've separated the body in pieces. We have the foot specialist, the muscle specialist, the shoulder specialist, the eye specialist, the dentist, the chiro, and so on and so forth. And each and every one of these branches are doing a great job. But they're not taking in consideration all of the other body parts that are actually affecting what we see. We're treating the symptom. We're not looking at the cause. And the cause, in 99% of the time, is a brain imbalance. Caused from developmental issues as a child. Yeah. Is there anyone that's written books? Obviously, there is. Is there anyone that's written books about the stages of development that you know of that are actually really, really good? Because as a parent, this is something that I'm aware of. Like I'm like, hey, what should my kids be doing? Um on a day-to-day basis that I'm hopefully not screwing up other than playing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to be giving a seminar with uh, Dr. Uh, Melillo in, uh, in uh, Montreal, who is one of the, um, uh, how do you say one of these, uh, one of the first to speak about these brain imbalances and he works exclusively with children and has written uh, uh, four or five books about it and speaks ex- extensively about brain imbalances and how they basically affect, I mean, uh, from, from autistic children to ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia. There's another dentist by the name of uh, Dr. Boyd who um, basically says that a uh, ADD is a symptom of mouth breathing. I believe so that. If, Right. So, I mean, if we're able to get our kids to start to tap into their nasal breathing, which which starts at at day one of life, they must breastfeed. They cannot suck their fingers or their thumbs or have any pacifiers in the mouth. And they need to be uh, stimulated, stimulated proprioceptively and vestibularly, uh, gently, obviously, at the beginning. You don't you don't want to whack their head uh, so that they can start to tap into their posterior chain. So there is. I could definitely send you a couple uh, more studies or even links if you'd like for the podcast yep. uh, for the auditors uh, if they want. And, um, I, and I do suggest tapping in with, the, with Dr. Melillo where we're going to be covering those specific reflexes, those what we call primitive reflexes and movement patterns. He's going to be talking about them extensively and I'm going to be giving the corrective exercises that we do in practice and he'll be giving in his own feedback as well in regards to those corrective when, methods. When is that event in Montreal? I believe it is in May. Uh, in two months, and we're, we're, we might be changing the date, but so far we're good for the month of May. Wonderful. So I'm sure if any of our listeners want to head over to Montreal to see that, and maybe you guys can film it and, and uh, offer it for your listeners and mine on YouTube. Uh, Annette, this is so eye-opening to me. So I was looking up, I, I believe, I see a massive difference when I, when I look down the path of breathing, right? So when people have limited breathing, the posture gets thrown off just just from this one perspective of the rib cage. But now you've introduced all these other things that make so much sense, but just weren't on my radar yet. So uh, I plan on looking into your stuff extensively and look forward to you letting us know uh, when you're teaching some classes, because I definitely will send some of my team there. I'll be there and we will send some of our listeners over to you as well. Do you know when your courses are coming up that you teach? Yes, so we have an upcoming course in uh, Atlanta. Um, I believe that this will be in, I'm um, just looking very quickly as I'm speaking to you. This What's will the be website? in the month of. Uh, the website is education.posturepro.co. Got it. And you will find uh, the courses with Dr. Melillo, Brain uh, Balance and Hemispheric Function. And you will find the courses in uh, the next one. There's one in New York, there's one in Atlanta and California, again, uh, all towards the. Um, 
um, middle of the year and the end of the year. You know, when you're saying that name, Dr. Malilo, I'm, I'm very confident I have one of his books. I can't think of which one it is, but I'm, I'm confident I do. So I'm looking forward to it. And, and are you teaching at those classes as well? Yeah, I'm the one. I'll, I'll be teaching in all of those classes, um, you know, internationally if possible. And uh, with Dr. Malilo, I'll be, I'll be letting him bring in his expertise in conjunction with what we've been doing so far. Because uh, one of the great correlations that we've made is when we start assessing these reflexes, when we start to correct the foot in the eye, um, we clear some of these reflexes right off the bat. So um, whereas if before correcting the foot in the eye, we might find, I don't know, six out of 10 reflexes that are active. Once we work on posture and improve that proprioception, we might go down to three. So this is something that I know uh, Dr. Milelo was very impressed with. Can you give me an example of what that means? You say you're clearing... Uh- uh, so, for example, a, a spinal gallant reflex, which is when you stroke the skin uh, of, uh, of the back laterally in a child or in an adult, if it induces a movement of lateral flexion, then this would mean that this reflex is still active in this person. So I've tested it. I've done videos about this. A, either you test the reflex, it's super active and very, very often asymmetrical on both sides, We'll work on stimulating the foot, on doing the eye exercises. We'll take a good five minutes with the kid. We'll have them go back on all four. We'll stroke their back. And the reflex has either completely disappeared, meaning there's no more lateral flexion on either side, or has severely decreased by 80%. Is that a good thing? Very good thing. Absolutely. We don't want to see a, a reflex? Absolutely not. Not when you're an adult. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, no, no. These these are reflexes that that actually create many problems um, uh, in in adulthood. For example, the the fear paralysis reflex, and you've probably seen it. You know, when when you walk into a room and and you just scare somebody and they go, <gasps> yeah, right. So that that reflex is a reflex that should disappear before you're even born. Hmm. So if it's still active, this is going to be the person that has anxiety, paranoia, that's constantly thinking that there's a line in the room. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like no matter what you do, you say, hey, hi, can you do this? And they're like, you know, really aggressive. They think you're attacking them. Yeah. So this, this, this actually, it, it, it impairs our quality of life. And you'll see these reflexes are still active with adults, definitely with kids and uh, so on and so forth. Very cool. I had no idea, but I'm going to dig more, more into that. And Annette, thank you so much for your time. Is there somewhere you want to direct people? Obviously, we're going to link to your education.posturepro website, uh, anywhere else that people can reach you. And get in contact yeah, they with could. They could definitely find us on Instagram. Uh, Google uh, if they just search for Posture Pro, where we put a lot of information, uh, detailed information uh, as far as these postural um, imbalances in the context of performance. Also, Facebook, same thing, Posture Pro, and our website is education at posturepro.co. I mean, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me. Oh, thank you. Um, I also forgot to mention, and I don't know if you'd want to if you'd want to uh, mention it or not. For the ones that are interested, we do have online webinars that are, you know, I'd say fairly fairly cheap in comparison to the course. Which, and I would suggest the latest one of posture and strength, where I actually am giving an, a kind of a more detailed explanation of, of everything that we've spoken of now uh, in this podcast. So maybe you know, as a cheaper version, they can, you know, kind of get an introduction to that. And then this would give them a good idea of whether or not they'd want to take it further. Do you know what the URL is? 
Uh, well, the URL, Same they'll find it on, yeah, education.poshpro.co online webinars. If they can just, uh, just Perfect. look up posture and strength or intro to posturology, that'll give you a good uh, understanding or, or, you know, a kind of a, a good introduction in uh, regards to, uh, to posturology and the postural system. Amazing. This is so fascinating. Thank you so much, Annette. Thank you so very uh, much. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.